Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, Season 2, Episode 34. Now, Dennis Bernstein, I'm thinking as we uh, are approaching our 100th episode that we'll just uh, we'll start the numbering over again, but for now, we'll keep with Episode 34. This is really the first episode of the off-season, though. It, it is. It truly is. It's, it's, it's going to be newsworthy, John, based on the, <laughs> the events of the last 24 hours. But uh, before we start with the news, John, got a little um, story about the power of All right, I want to hear podcast. it. Went to, went to the Dodger game last night, sat in I the saw. home run seats, okay? Uh, fully vaccinated section, but you got to wear a mask. So when you, and you know where that it's just over the outfield fence. So it's, a, it's, it's an area with like a, a rope, and I'm coming up the stairs with a mask on. Guy lets, opens up the rope and says, you're Dennis Bernstein. <laughs> like, big, big, big fan of Kings of the Podcast. Huge fan. Love James. It. I'm like, so... Yeah, so I tweet. So I take a video and and we talk for a second. I said, "Yeah, I'll come back. We'll talk between innings." Um, I tweet a picture of the uh, a video of mm-hmm. where the seats are, and James, the usher's father, Ken Henry, tweets, "If you're in those seats, my son James is an usher <laughs> there." And I said, "Ken, by the way, he showed us to our seats. He wants Eichel, but he doesn't want to trade Byfield. So that's my." That's the power of kings in a pocket. John, you and I get noticed in public places now. It's it's tragic for our wives. <laughs> well, um, yeah, we'll have to unpack the Eichel stuff a little bit later on. I do love those new home run seats yeah, that they put will. in there. I'll tell you, uh, I've been to Fenway a number of times. I've said for a long time, it's my favorite ballpark, uh, which pains me as a National League guy. But uh, I, I've always wanted to sit in at the top of the, 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 the monster. I've sat in those. You sat out there? Yeah, I sat on the, my in on my birthday around five or six years ago. We went out and we sat on them. They were they're even more amazing because they're so close to the field and you're right. you're so high up. It, it, John, oh, bucket for sure. list for you. I, I know I know how much space. But yeah, you, you got. Uh, I tell you though, nothing. I've been I saw the Dodgers play their first game there at Fenway. Uh, what that was back around two thousand four, I think. I've uh, been there a number of times, but the Dodger Yankees game at Fenway when I was about five rows behind home plate. Manny was still with the Red Sox at the time. Um, he hits a bomb in the eighth inning to tie a game that they had been losing the entire game. And then they came back uh, in the 10th inning, I believe it was, to win that game. That whole building was shaking. And being that it was 100 years old, I was afraid it was going to come crumbling oh, yeah. down. Like, it was, uh, it was a wild, wild time. It's just, <laughs> there's nothing like seeing a game at Fenway. It's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty awesome. But, yeah, I have to get out and check out those home run seats uh, out there at Dodger Stadium as well. Um, what do you make of the renovations? You, you happy with, uh, with what they've done there at the stadium? 
amazing. I think it's great that the fans get to walk around the entire stadium. Uh, what they did in center field, we actually had some food before the game, um, sat at some tables and stuff. They've done a great job. It it, it looks seamless. It looks like it's been there forever. Yeah. So they did a really good job. So fans want to go, by all means, get out there and, and, and visit the park. I mean, you, John, you know, it, it's it's an amazing place even before the renovations. But architecturally, they did a fantastic job. Blue heaven on earth. No place better than Dodger Stadium for sure. Uh, DB, the name of the uh, episode here today, we are coming to you live from the, get ready for this one, from the Andre Lakhtianov Studios here in beautiful Southern California. Now, this is uh, timely for a number of reasons. First of all, Andy Tong and all of the uh, Lochte lovers out there, they love any mention at all of Andre Lakhtianov. Of course, he played 155 games uh, in the NHL, 22 goals during that time period, uh, had a cup of coffee with Carolina, played a little bit with New Jersey, um, obviously made his NHL debut with the LA Kings uh, back in 2010, I believe it was, and played uh, 39 games, which was a lot of angst for many people in the 2011-12 season because he did not make it onto the Stanley Cup. Uh, We'll leave that for another episode. I'm pretty sure we've already covered this at one point. Uh, Maybe it was during... We did. Maybe it was during the Kevin Westgarth episode where Westy's name did get on the cup. Um, But uh, the reason that there that I went Russian on this particular one, TB, is that uh, we are recording this on Friday morning as we head into the Memorial Day holiday weekend. And I'm expecting sometime in the next 24 hours here, we're going to get the uh, the final the final word, if you will, uh, about where the L.A. Kings are with a a 25 year old winger coming out of the uh, KHL is a player that terminated his contract with the team there, mutual termination. They agreed to allow him to pursue his NHL career. And uh, Vladimir, I don't know, you can take a stab at it, DB. I'm going to need to work on my Russian. Kachov? Kachev? What do you say? Yeah, I think it's Kachev. It depends. The one thing that I joked with you before we started recording, John, is that when you Google his name the way um, you retweeted the tweet mm-hmm. from the KHL, it comes up but under a different name. And on his... Uh, Profile at Hockey uh, Elite Prospects, it's AKA. So the guy's got two names. I'm like, is, is that the name he's going to leave to use to leave the country? Um, <laughs> under, Come on. Surreptitiously, uh, under some. <laughs> but uh, I'm going with Kachev. Okay. So that's the easier way to do a jump. But I'm sure we've, we've mangled okay, so it. Okay, so Kachev, so uh, 25-year-old, has a fascinating story. I don't know why, but the first thing that popped into my mind was uh, Nikolai Perhorkin, or Perkorkin, as we knew him once upon a time, uh, in the sense that the Oilers had tried yeah. to sign him, and they thought they had a deal, and then they found out that the KHL had a contract, and it just it was a whole mess there. I think Craig McTavish was involved in that, so uh, no surprise there. But um, it reminded me of when the Kings first tried to get Perhorkin over here from the KHL, and it's just, it's never easy, Dennis. It's never easy getting players to come over from Russia. No, it's but, never easy. But never. if you can work through all of the red tape and you can make it work, we've seen in Minnesota this year how you can see exciting results. Now, I'm not saying that right. this player here, Kachev, uh, Kachov, whatever we're going with, uh, I'm not saying that he's Kaprizov, but uh, you know the Kings are in need of adding some scoring. We've talked about that quite a bit on the program, so um, not sure exactly where this particular player would fit in. I, I would like to believe that perhaps he starts out in the American League and sort of gets familiar with the system and whatnot. That seems to be the LA Kings' way of doing things. I wouldn't sure. quite yet pencil him in on Kopitar's uh, wing for opening night. That's what I'm getting at, Dennis. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I reached out to somebody that's actually scouted him in... Um... In Russia. So small player, right? I think if you look at his program weight in a couple of different websites, it's anywhere between 157 and 163. Highly skilled. Probably if he breaks through, it's probably a left wing too. But the key there is a power mm-hmm. play specialist, which this team needs. So I think with the spec and John, as you always mention, 25 mm-hmm. years old. 
I think that's a key as well. So this is a developed player who put up some decent numbers in the KHL. So that, that's what you're looking at. But I agree with you. I don't think if he did start in the A, that once he got recalled, he'd be next to Copenhagen. Yeah, if you're if you're looking for a team, or, or I should say if you're the LA Kings and you're looking to add offense, what I think you're looking to do, and I think we're going to talk about this throughout the program here, DB, uh, based upon some intel that I've received this week, it's really about finding players that are what I'm calling bridge players to get you to Kaliev, Turcotte, and whatnot. There, there doesn't seem to be much of an appetite in the LA Kings organization to rush these kids to the NHL. I know that you want to play the kids. I know that everybody's like, come on, come on, you know, put Kaliev on the top line there, back to, you know, giving Kopitar a new winger. But it looks like they're going to be patient with some of these guys. And for one of the reasons that, uh, one of the examples or, or points that was made to me this week, TB, is actually Gabe Velarde. And what I mean by that is there was some concern or a thought that perhaps he was thrust into too big of a role too early. You know, there, there was a lot of excitement coming off the end of last year. There was a lot of excitement after the first 10 games or so this year. And then Velarde was sort of anointed into that second C role and he wasn't quite ready for it. And that's where we saw him struggle, you know, really throughout the month of, month of March. And uh, I just think that they are, they're cautious. Right. They don't want to make that same mistake with Turcotte, with Kaliev, with any of these kids. They don't have to put them up there, DB. So many of them are just at the beginning of their first uh, first year of their, their entry-level contract. You don't have to rush them into the NHL. If they can go out and acquire a couple of players and get guys that'll take some of the pressure off of those kids and not, you know, you don't need Kaliev to come in and score 35 goals next year. If you can get Kaliev to come in and just allow him to develop, then it's a completely different uh, sort of situation. So this is one of those players mm-hmm. that I think is the first of several moves. Uh, DB, I want to, I want to uh, let you know something. If you remember a couple of episodes, probably the last yeah. episode that we talked about, you would ask me what would I like to see them do? Is it a defenseman and a forward? Is it two forward? You know, whatever. And I said yeah. I'd like to see two forwards. From what I'm hearing, that is the current priority. The current priority is to get two forwards this year, uh, this summer, I should say. Um, that would mm-hmm. be those bridge oh. players. You don't want to create blockers. You don't want to. You don't want to sign a UFA to a seven year deal. Right. That's it. going to prevent Kalia from moving into that spot. Yep. But from what I hear, they're exploring uh, getting two forwards either through some sort of a trade or UFA on shorter term deals, not looking for guys on seven year deals. Uh, They're looking Mm -hmm. for guys on on shorter term deals that would allow them to get a little offense for next year, help them make the playoffs and create some breathing room to bring in some of these kids. You know, John, I'll be honest with you. If I was a GM and not speaking for Rob Blake, but just in general, I wouldn't give any UFA Mm -hmm. more than five years. At this point, you know, given the flat cap thing and you see what happens with these seven year deals, like you could swallow um, Jeff Skinner, maybe at nine million for five years, but not for seven years. So I just don't think it makes any sense. It it absolutely doesn't make any sense for this team as well. But the flip side of that, John, is that they got to make a splash and they got to make the postseason. So they they, these have to be players of consequence that's going to improve this offense. But if you're going to add two. They gotta be, you know, second at least second line. Yeah, players, what I was right? told is that one of them needs to be a legit top six player. The other one could be top nine, preferably mm-hmm. two top six guys is what they're looking for. But if they were able to get yeah. one legit top six and then the other one would be sort of top six or top mm-hmm. nine, uh because a lot of it depends on what's available and what the cost is too, Dennis, right? Like it's easy to sit here and sure. say, Well, they want two no, top six forwards. Well, guess what? Every team in the NHL this year, whether they made the playoffs or they didn't, they're looking for the exact same thing. They want more off 
offense and better defense going into next year. Like I laugh listening to uh, Ken Holland, <laughs> Ken Holland the other right. day talking about it was almost as if <laughs> that was some availability, John. He was all well, over the place. Oh, my, well, he oh could have just God. borrowed a script. From, Holy cow. He, he could have borrowed forever. a script, though, from Rob Blake or any other GM. Right. What does he need? He said he needs it can't just be uh, help from the outside. They need the younger yeah. players to be better and they needed some secondary scoring <laughs> and they needed to shore up their defense. Right. I mean, what team doesn't need that? Right. That's like every team needs that. So you're right. 31 going on exactly. 32 teams that are, you know, fighting for a finite pool. I think that's one of the reasons why the Kings have been so interested in looking into Europe. They're, 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 you're trying to open up the pool, right? You, you can't just keep swimming in the same North American pool. It's good to see. Joe. You have to go and look yeah. for players in other areas. So, uh, UFA is going to be tricky. And and, and, and to me, yeah, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say the, the good takeaway here with respect to this particular player that they're just going to they're going to sign is that their experience with KHL players lately mm-hmm. has not been good. And I think there might have been some concern about signing players mm-hmm. out of the K. But if they're going forward with this guy, that's a good sign because I agree with you at this point in time, wherever you can find offense. Um, you go get it. So I think yeah, and just to be time. clear, the deal has not yet been reached. They're getting close to securing that deal, and from what I understand, it it, it hope they're hoping that it'll be done in the next twenty four hours. So uh, I, I don't want to mislead people. It's not a done deal. It's they're they're trying to to bring it to a close, but they they think there's a, a close to having a deal in place. Um, but DB, when you look at UFA, I think what what makes the UFA part of it tricky. Uh, is the fact that most guys look to cash in when they're UFAs. So when you go out and you're trying to get a legitimate, and these aren't names that I think are on the Kings radar per se. I'm just throwing them out there because fans talk a lot about them. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Taylor Hall, guys like that. These guys are looking to cash in. They're they're not looking to help out the LA Kings by signing a three-year UFA deal. The only thing that could potentially be helping the Kings in this particular uh, summer is the flat cap that you mentioned there, Dennis, because some of these guys that were hoping yep. to cash in for long-term, the deals might not, they just might not be there. Yeah, exactly. Well, look at Taylor Hall. He expected us on a, a long-term deal. He wound up sending for 8 million with Buffalo for one year. Same thing with Mike, yeah. uh, Mike Hoffman. And we talk about offense. This guy's a 29, 30 goal scorer. He had to sign one year, for, what, 4 million in St. Louis. So yes, that would help the Kings. Uh, but again, you, you can't go, look, uh, People know what I want to do, but I agree with you with respect to unrestricted free agents. And John, to be honest with you, when you look at the list, it's not that long of a list of people that that would players that would make sense for Los yeah. Angeles. So I think what they're going to ultimately end up having to look at DB would be two other sort of scenarios. One of those would be teams that are in a pinch because of the expansion draft and and they want to get yep. something in return for a player that they might end up losing. Um, for example, you can see the LA Kings do that with a guy like Matt Luff, right? He's going to be exposed in the expansion draft. A guy like Kale Clegg, he's going to be exposed in the expansion right. draft. Is there a team out there that is so excited by one of those players and they have an extra spot within their protection list that they would be willing to trade for that guy that's a possibility um those wouldn't be the type of players the kings would be looking to acquire because those are still sort of younger fringe nhl players they haven't quite established themselves as legit players and the kings are looking for legit you know top six players like we talked about um the other thing would be salary cap there are a number of teams that are going to be pinched because of the cap and they're going to be looking to free up by trading some players uh and of course everybody circles back to tampa bay uh, at that particular moment, you know, is there a player there that the Kings would be able to pry out of the lightning? We won't know that until the summer, DB. Yeah, and I don't really – I mean, Tyler Johnson, Alex no. Kalorn, doesn't make any sense for LA, I think, those players. I think that – that that um, yeah. Circuit, if they want to trade circuit chef to LA, that's another story. But other than that, I, I don't think – I don't think that would be the team, John, but there may be others. Sure. Find a way to get Braden Point, though. That might not be a bad idea, but <laughs> – 
Dennis, I think we can uh, look. Let's just get to it now on the in the first period instead of waiting till the third period. We have a bunch of uh, fan questions lined up in the third period, but uh, the Kings are out on Jack Eichel. Can we just uh, can we can we can we say that now and can we move on and we don't have to talk about it anymore? No, it depends if Jack Eichel's healthy or not. Are they out? I don't know. I think they're out. I don't know. I don't know. Why, why are they out? Why are they out of May? Uh, I think the reason that they're out boils down to this. Uh, I, a, I don't think it's the type of player that they're looking for at this particular time. I know everybody gets excited about the offense. Uh, I just don't think that's the player, and I don't think that's where they're going to spend their assets. They know that they're going to have to acquire, and they're very interested in acquiring, uh, a, a top-flight defenseman that fits that age bracket that we've talked about. And in order to do that, mm-hmm. um, and it won't be Jeff Chikrin, because right. uh, from everything I hear, that player is just not going to be available in Arizona. That'd be fantastic if he was. But um, right. so, you know, you come back to a guy like uh, Zach Rowinski or somebody like that. Uh, if, if a player like that becomes available, they're going to have to give up some of their key assets, right? That's that's not trading a secondary mm-hmm. uh, prospect. That's not trading two second round picks. That's a significant ad to get a young defenseman that fits their specific yes. ask in terms of uh, age and style that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is right. I think that's where they're spending their right. assets. So they're not going, they just don't have enough assets to be able to trade for a Jack Eichel and to be able to trade for a defenseman. Um, and so for those reasons, I think that when it comes down to the two forwards that they're looking to add, go back to what I was just mentioning a minute ago. It's a guy who's going to be on a lower term deal. Uh, and it's, it's going to be a trade that's not going to require them to give up their key, key assets. I think they're out on Eichel. That's my point. They, they, they have to make a splash, John. Their, their TV ratings were down mm-hmm. 18% this year. Um, they're one of the bottom five with respect to TV. They have mm-hmm. to create excitement. So however they do it, right, they need to do it. Okay, so to me, that would be creating excitement around this team, not signing a, you know, unknown Russian twenty-five-year-old from the NHL. Now, could it be other players? Yeah, uh, I get your point. And and for me, primarily, it's it's health. Like, if you don't know that player is one hundred percent healthy and good to go for next season, then no, no, of course not. Other than that, um, because what you mentioned about Valar, see, here's the thing, John. Like, you mentioned thrusting players too early and being patient. So, if you're not going to thrust. Velarde into that role. Who's your second line center next season? If you so, think how about this thing? I, and first of all, I agree with you. They do need to make a splash in terms of creating excitement, but I don't think they have to go big game hunting uh, necessarily. But what about getting a player like Sam Reinhart? Uh, it would cost you less. You uh, from it from an asset perspective, but you're also getting somebody who certainly can score. He's he's a proven 20, 25 goal scorer in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, and if Buffalo is looking to move players, that's the type of player that I think LA could uh, could really benefit from adding to the lineup. Yeah, that would a twenty-five goal scorer in what fifty-six games. Yeah, that would help. That would help the LA Kings five on five in a power play. So, uh, yeah, it would help. I, I don't think it would create excitement around the team that the way Eichel could. And I'm talking about off the ice, John. I'm not talking about on the ice. Would a player like that, depending on the cost, improve the team? Yeah. So we can agree to disagree on that. Um, but it, now the the one, Elliot Friedman actually threw out a, uh, a theory with respect to Sam Reinhardt. He thinks that it could be Merzlikens from Columbus and Reinhardt going back to, um, uh, to uh, I guess, going back to Columbus and Merzlikens going to Buffalo, which would be a nice trade. But, yeah, look, you, I love the way Sam Reinhardt played, and he did play this season, and he was healthy, and he did score goals. So I think that player 
Uh, certainly fills a need and would be a okay. player. Uh, the timing of it is going to be interesting uh, because you have the expansion draft coming up. And so we can kind of end on this. And then uh, we have uh, right. Sean Dursey waiting on the other side. And then we have a bunch of uh, mailbag type uh, right. questions to answer in the third period, DB. But uh, with the expansion draft coming up, and I've written a number of articles on this, it does appear that uh, the Kings will be going with the seven and three configuration. So not the four and four. Um, so you have Cal Peterson as the goaltender three defensemen that end up getting protected. That would be, of course, Dowdy, Matt Roy, and Sean Walker, which leaves you with seven forwards getting protected, which would probably be Kopitar, Ayafalo, Trevor Moore, who they're working on getting a deal done with, uh, Kempe, Leas Anderson, and then your uh, other two would be Grundstrom and Brown. And if they were able to make a trade in advance for a guy like Sam Reinhart, then you have to think that either Grundstrom or Brown would sort of be on the bubble in terms of uh, being protected. Because if they do make a trade for sure. a player prior to July 21st for the expansion draft, actually the, the, the list is due a week before. So before mid-July, if they make a trade, then they would end up having to protect that player. So that's something also to, uh, to keep in mind. Right. Okay, so we'll get into that. Uh, double A, real quickly, I guess I should just mention because he's not on that list and we seem to get a lot of questions about that. Um, if they do end up re-signing Double A, and right now I would say that my, my confidence level in that has come down a little bit from where it was uh, about a month ago, uh, he will not be protected, most likely, from what I'm hearing. Um, and there is some concern uh, about the number for him, not the term, but maybe on the cost side, because uh, if they... Mm-hmm. They don't. I don't think they're going to qualify him because if they qualify him, I think there's some concern about what the number might be if they go to arbitration. So it's more or less going to be a, right. here's a contract offer. This is the number that we sort of have you slotted in at. Are you interested in taking that number and being part of the team? You know, you won't be protected. We'll see what happens. Uh, or, you know, does he want to then, uh, would he instead prefer to become a free agent if he's not qualified and then go, you know, out there and hunt and find his own deal? If I was him in his camp, there would be a little bit of trepidation because of what he experienced last year, even though he had a nice, you know, you could say he had a nice rebound season, Dennis. Oh, yeah. And the other thing is, you, you can't pay him more than two, right? Because you're paying Kevin. I, I, yeah, I can't so see I, how I he gets more. That, I, I, I couldn't I, see that. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it just doesn't make sense with respect to the, the salary structure. And that's uh, that's a benefit for uh, uh, having, you know, bringing in Kempe at such a great number. So I think that's the that's a challenging issue. But I agree with you. I, I think there's just, John, what do we keep talking about? There's too many forwards. There's too many wingers here. And uh, if one of these other kids emerged, then, then what are you going to do? And he's gone on the fourth line, and you paid a one five, one seven five. So he's in a yeah. Top and top. for sure, uh, I think there's another uh, factor sort of lurking in the weeds, also, Dennis, that people aren't talking about, and that is Martin Furk. I do believe that they plan on giving Martin Furk a good long look uh, at the beginning of camp, and that it's really sort of the the reboot of what the idea was this year, which is to pair Martin Furk with Gabe Velarde and try to recapture that magic. Um, you know, they put him on waivers this year for one specific reason, Dennis. There was concern that he wasn't going to get into the lineup if they put him directly on the NHL roster, that just it wasn't going to work over the final 10 or 12 games to get him enough playing time. So they put him on waivers. It was a calculated risk. They thought that nobody would take him. He hadn't played a game pretty much in over a year. Nobody did take him. They sent him down to Ontario. He was able to get a ton of games in. He played top six minutes, uh, even top line minutes for a lot and uh, was a key contributor to the Ontario reign down the stretch. They love Martin Furk and they think there's a real opportunity um, for him to come back and earn a spot. So it might, it might end up where we see just a one year delay on what they expected from him, but I wouldn't categorize that as a big splash Dennis. I just think that's a, that's a bonus that they're thinking of. Um, Furk has not been forgotten. And I think that sort of also helps squeeze out double a, because like you said, where do you put him? He probably ends up on the fourth line. So uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, that middle, the bottom nine is is going to be squeezed. Somebody's 
there's one or two, there's probably two odd men out next season, right? With, with respect to if they make a trade, whatever, it put, it pushes people down the lineup. So, yeah, I think you're probably looking at two people who are in the bottom line this year that probably get squeezed out. You have season. to think that Austin Wagner is not going to get into 82 games next year. Uh, but I don't understand the Austin Wagner hate, Dennis. Um, I mean, you cannot like the player, but people, why, why do why do people continually tweet me about Austin Wagner? He's playing on the fourth line. Like, you cannot like the player, but the LA Kings, they don't make or 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 miss the playoffs next year based upon the number of games that Austin Wagner plays. I just don't understand all the drama related to Austin Wagner. Well, because he has like 20 <laughs> breakaways and he never scores. Okay, but fix the, the top six, right? Fix the top nine. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, no, it's and, not... It's not the right. It's not the issue. With respect I had to somebody, Dennis, I was going to forward you this. I had somebody tweet me the other day, a projected lineup in response to what I put out as the projected lineup. And they had I follow on the fourth line right. and double A was on the second line. Right. And I'm just I, I mean, I looked at it, Dennis, for a good five minutes. Okay. It felt like a half an hour. And just thinking, how would anybody rationalize that? How do you put Alex I follow on the fourth line and double A on the second line? How does that make any sense? It doesn't. And now that. You know, I, there's a guy I follow on uh, Twitter, uh, Jack Fre- J Fresh Hockey. He he had his um, nomination or his ch- choices for the awards. He had I follow as one of the sel- like the fifth selection for the okay. Selkie, not just you know he, he's had it, which is, to me was surprising. I even think of Alex as that defensive minded forward, but based on the advanced analytics, um, he's an excellent defensive player. But yes, John, I know why you stood at that for five minutes. If Alex <laughs> if we, I follow. Was at least he wasn't a healthy yes. scratch. And, and you know what? There's probably somebody out there that's going to tweet me that. I, I love all the tweets and the suggestions because mixed in with all of the craziness, there actually are some really good uh, ideas and some good questions. There are, there's definitely stuff. some quality stuff. And uh, Dennis, we've devoted, we're going to devote, I should say, a whole third period to that. So let's take a quick break right now. We'll, uh, we'll come back. Second period, Sean Dursey is going to join us. He'll catch us up on uh, what was going on with the Ontario Reign and his development as an LA Kings prospect. We'll come back in the third period. We'll do a mailbag segment only answering questions that we received from our listeners and from LA Kings fans. So look forward to it, DV. We'll be back in a second. Kings of the Podcast, second period. Joining us today, LA Kings defensive prospect, Sean Dursey. Durs, summer, it's, uh, this is supposed to be your free time, but here you are talking to us. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I like to choose wisely what I do in my free time, and uh, this is this is what I'm doing today. So uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited. Well, I appreciate it. We were uh, we were pushing to have you on right before the beginning of the season, and then all of a sudden, training camp was opening up, and and then uh, you know a couple months of of a season, and here we are. But uh, 
Let's just jump into a brand new coach this year in John Robleski. I'd like to start there. Uh, nobody really knew what to expect with this guy coming in this year. Um, obviously, you had been you know with Stutz there in Ontario previously, but everybody that I talked to, on the record, off the record, people really seemed to like this guy and think that he brought a lot to the team. What was your experience with Robo? Yeah, Robo was unbelievable this year. Uh, you know, I think his passion is unmatched uh, for the game of hockey, and you know to to make us players that prospects and you know everybody on the team a lot better at what they do and i think uh, that's something that really stuck out to me is just his passion for the game and and i think that that really rubs off on people the right way when you guys got off to that rough start all the players privately were talking almost like they were just sort of shrugging it off like yeah you know it's, it's not a problem though we, we think we're doing all the right things it sounded like a cliche but uh, you guys were able to turn it around at around, you know, the 12 to 15 game mark somewhere in there and played much better down the stretch. Was it, uh, was it a matter of just trying to get everybody on the same page, finding out their roles, so many new guys on the team, new coach, all of that stuff? Was it just, hey, we needed an extended preseason to sort of figure it all out and get it, get it headed in the right direction? Yeah, I think, uh, unfortunately, we did have a tough start. And I think for the most part, we handled it really well and, I think a big part of that was just realizing that we were a younger team. We did have a lot of new players and, you know, we, we didn't have much time to build any chemistry there. And I thought, uh, you know, our coaching staff and handled it the right way. And, you know, the players and our leadership group, uh, I thought everybody did a good job of, of kind of just realizing that, you know, we got to stay on the right path and it's never easy, but uh, the wins will come. So I thought, uh, you know, a lot of guys did the right things. The guys were saying the right things in the room. Um, a lot of young guys, you know, stepped up and, you know, started playing some, some really good hockey and, you know, adjusting themselves well to the pro game. And I thought uh, down the stretch that we were playing like a really good hockey team. Does there, even though you try to keep a positive attitude, is there ever a point where a player like you personally, where it becomes a little bit frustrating though? It's like, hey, I'm not a new guy. I've been here before. I'm already into my pro career and I'm trying to advance to get to the next level. And you know, I'm surrounded by all of these young kids and they might be great guys and you know they're, they're my buddies, but at the same time, they're kind of holding me back from my development. Was there ever a point where those sort of thoughts crept in a little bit? Uh, I don't like to, you know, frustration is tough. Uh, of course, you always like to stay away from that as a hockey player and as a pro athlete. But, uh, you know, losing is never fun. And, and uh, being a competitive guy, uh, I never like to lose no matter what it is. So I think that was, uh, you know, night after night, consistently losing games to that little stretch. It gets tough. You know, I wouldn't say anyone was holding uh, myself back as a player, but, uh, you know, losing never, never helps anyone and never pushes anyone in the right direction. So I was definitely not happy with it. Um, stayed as poised and you know as calm as as I could in the situation and you know did try to think those right thoughts of you know stick on this path you know do everything right say the right things around the room and you know bring the bring the same attitude you would every single day if, if you know we were winning so it was it's uh it was a tough situation and obviously just being a competitive guy really really didn't like that and, and didn't uh didn't sit well with me for a while but uh I thought know with uh with our team i thought we did a good job of, of kind of like i said say the right things brought the right attitude and, and you know we did the work and i thought it, it showed definitely down the stretch okay well then i can't use frustrated for my next question i'll let you pick the right word <laughs> you, you you guys you you dig out of the hole right and you play so much better as a team in the second half of the season the the ahl announces that the pacific division they're gonna there's gonna be this tournament it's a one game sort of play in keep is keep playing as long as you keep winning type thing 
and then you're not in that game. Uh, so if frustration's not the word, what's going through your mind when you're, you know, you're watching that game there in Irvine and, and you're not able to be out there and be able to help the team uh, after really turning the season around? Uh, wh- what was that like? Yeah, I think we could use frustration there. That's, uh, <laughs> no, I think injuries, uh, they don't sit well with myself and, and, you know, getting a big role on this team this year and, you know, playing a lot more minutes and, you know, playing in different situations. I, uh, I did a pretty good job of, of staying healthy and, you know, played a, a full regular season. And uh, it just turns out that the one game I missed was a play, playing game. And, and obviously that uh, that was a tough call to make. That was a tough, tough situation for myself. And, you know, uh, like I said, being a competitor, you, you want to play in those big games. You want to play, you know, play in, play in a situation. And it was almost like it was the first game that really, uh, really had some reward to it. So, mm-hmm. it was, uh, yeah, I think we could definitely use frustration there. Uh, staying healthy and, you know, playing a full season was my uh, priority for myself. And, you know, I, I did get every regular season game in, other than the one that I, you know, missed because of uh, roster moves. But, um, yeah, I think uh, I think that was a tough goal. Uh, just realizing that, you know, I got a, hopefully a long, healthy career ahead of me and, uh, I really want to take care of this and, and kind of worry about the games after. And, and obviously there was no games after. So, uh, yeah, tough call. Frustration is definitely a word, but move past it and, you know, get ready for the next games. Okay, so let me ask you one quick follow-up on that then. And I don't want to overblow, you know, overblow this into a big situation. I mean, it wasn't Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final or anything like that. But you're you're sitting there, you're watching the game, the team goes up early, and then, you know, uh, they start to fall behind. They're, they're losing late in the third period. At that moment, are you thinking to yourself, oh, only if I was out there, we wouldn't be in this situation right now. You know, this we would be in a better position. Is that what you're thinking while you're watching that game? Are you thinking, please don't let this uh, this game slip away because, you know, I might be healthy enough to play in the in the second game or even in, in any follow-up games? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I saw Flagger down the stretch there. He was, he was being used quite a bit, and, you know, I knew uh, – as we needed a goal, he could he could probably use a helping hand there, and uh, I thought he did a great job that that game. And you know, I thought the rest of the decor did an unbelievable job. And uh, yeah, it sucks. Obviously, you know, you want to play in those big games and you want to be in those big moments. And I think that's what uh, makes me the player I am now. And, and that's kind of what I bring to the table. Is you know, want that puck, want to to kind of show that that you know I can help the team and. You know, I could uh, be there for the guys, and, and obviously I couldn't, and that was uh, it was tough to watch. But I mean, you, you you trust the guys a lot. You play with them all year. And you you realize that you know they played a great game, and you know a couple bounces just didn't go uh, didn't go our way, and that's just the way it goes. If, uh, if I think about it too much, I'll uh, I'll uh, start getting after myself. But uh, no, I thought uh, I thought the team did it, played a really good game. A lot of guys stepped up in different uh, situations, but I uh, would have loved to, to help that, that decor out. All right, so we're a week away uh, from that game, or a little more than a week away, so we can we can move past it so that you don't beat yourself up about <laughs> yeah. it over for the, re- yeah. for the rest of the summer here. I don't want to go into the holiday weekend with you thinking those thoughts, but uh, about you, there, there's something that's interesting that sort of, it, it never came up last year. It didn't really bubble up to the surface when I would talk to coaches or teammates and whatnot about you, but as I've talked to more and more people about you this year, there's been kind of this common theme, and that is that 
he's just a great teammate. And, you know, if we're going to war, he's the kind of guy that we want by our side. I hear that from coaches, teammates, you know, a lot of people that are around you that spend a lot of time around you. Um, what, what do you make of that? And, and sort of is that is that news to you or is this something that people have always said about you? Yeah, that that's you know that's that's the ultimate compliment for myself. Uh, you know, hearing that that makes me makes me happy. But um, you know, it's just something I bring to the table. I think the most important thing for myself and, and the most important thing that I've taken with me so far through my career is you know kind of the relationships I've built through through different you know people, players, staff, uh, fans, uh, you know, anyone. And, and I think a really really big important part of the game and, and nobody embodies it more than, than our captain is uh, just being a good person. Um, being there for your teammates, you know, you're going to go to war with these guys hopefully 82 games uh, a year one day. And uh, they, 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 I think they want a guy, at least I would want a guy who, who you know, is, is good friends and, you know, a guy that, you know, you'll block a shot for, you'll, uh, they'll take a hit for and you know, you're, you're willing to do anything for. And I think that's something that uh, I've kind of just brought with me through throughout my whole life and throughout my career is, you know, being a good person, being a, being a guy that's, uh, you know, willing to do anything for his teammates, willing to, you know, win games and, and willing to do whatever it takes. And, you know, honestly hearing that though is the ultimate compliment for myself. Uh, I think uh, it's, like I said, something that I'll uh, continue to carry with me and then something that I, uh, you know, really try to try to focus on. Would wearing a letter be sort of the next step in the evolution? Is that important to you? I think uh, you know what being a being a leader is is you know just it's something that you just you be yourself. And I think a lot of guys on our team this year who uh, who didn't wear a letter were were great leaders. And and I think the guys who did wear letters were were unbelievable leaders. But I think the biggest mistake uh, a hockey player can make is, is probably switching the way he he acts or plays with a letter. And I thought, you know, Foco uh, getting a letter this year, I thought he did a good job of kind of just being himself, being uh, the same player he always is, and being, uh, you know, a guy who, who's going to bring the same thing every night. And uh, so that's, you know, like I said, nobody uh, embodies it more than him. He's an unbelievable leader, and no matter what, uh, he's going to bring the same, you know, he's going to be the same guy every single day. So... I think uh, eventually, you know, whatever happens, whether I'm wearing a letter or not, I'm going to be the same competitive player and, and, you know, same person I am every single day. And, you know, whatever happens uh, along the way happens. So I don't think it's a a crazy big deal for me. But um, like I said, I bring the same mentality, same attitude and uh, same likeliness every single day. Yeah, no, that's a good answer there. I, I don't know if Boca was the exact same player, though, because he became an offensive juggernaut uh, this year compared to previous seasons. <laughs> Guys out there scoring hat tricks, and it was like the Boca from the queue all over again. You know, I, I was, Yeah, maybe he got a little more confidence, yeah, but uh, um, he, uh, he had a great year. Yeah, he did for sure. Um, okay, so if you're the leader and if you're just, uh, if you're just that guy, uh, it's time to come clean then. It's been a while. It's been back in, I think it was 2019, June of 2019. The Kings posted that photo of you... Turcott and I think it was Anderson Dolan who was in the photo. There's three of you guys in like a ball pit, which looks like you guys were at like a Chuck E. Cheese or an amusement park or whatever. Who's the guy who said, "Come on, let's jump in and take this picture"? Was that you? That, that had to be PR. Uh, <laughs> that was uh, no, that was a good day. We uh, we spent the day with uh, at a at a children's 
children's development uh, school, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was an awesome time because uh, about to see a couple kids laugh, and I think once uh, once we started playing around in the ball pit, they uh, we got a lot more smiles out of that. But I think that's what uh, the big decision was: get a couple extra smiles, and uh, someone just happened to snap a pic of us. So yeah, that was a laugh, but uh, no, it was, that was a special day. I'm always uh, looking forward to do those kind of things. There's also a great pic of you with one of the kids that day, where you kind of are sort of hugging or holding. Uh, I think the kid was standing up, but you, you could just see, at least you know, I mean, if you try to read into the picture, the look on your face was just like pure joy as you were seeing the joy in the kid's face. And so, like you said, I mean, that's really what it's all about, right? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the more you play and, and obviously the bigger level of, uh, you know, following you get, I think the kind of impact you can have on, on different kinds of people and, 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 and all it takes is just giving them the time of day. Uh, I think there's there's a ton of players who, who do it and you can see the difference they make in their communities and, and I think that's something that I'll uh, hopefully soon enough, you know, with, uh, without the COVID regulations, things like that, that's something that... Uh, I'll continue to look forward to doing in my career and, and always just, you know, giving everybody and, and treating everybody the same, no matter who they are, giving them the time of day. And it's, uh, it's amazing uh, how many, how many people you can impact on just doing such a simple thing like that. Yeah. So let's maybe go a, a little bit of a different direction along those same lines. Throughout the season, you would hear coaches or players or whatever talk about, you know, we miss the fans being in the building and the energy and all that sort of stuff. And yes, it can be trying at times that when people want to, you know, get your autograph and take a picture with you and things like that. But how difficult was it to not have those personal connections this year? Because while it can be challenging at certain times, right, because maybe they want a picture after you've had a bad day or a bad game. It can be the opposite as well. Those fans and those personal interactions, they can lift you up. You know, they can they can build your confidence when they tell you, hey, great game, you know, loved watching you play, loved that hit, loved that goal, you know, whatever. How challenging, how difficult uh, was it this year to sort of be cooped up all year and to, to only be able to be around, you know, your teammates and not get that interaction from, I guess, you know, random strangers in, in sort of a sense? Honestly, John, it was, it was almost impossible. Uh, to, to keep it quite honest with you here, uh, I thought without the fans and you know without that kind of engagement of of you know playing in front of them and, and you know kind of realizing that you know this is uh, this is pro hockey, it was it was really it, it got pretty tough at times. Uh, yeah. You know, playing in a practice rink again, it, it kind of feels like playing in practice with with men. It, it feels like uh, it, it's it's a lot different, is what I can say. And, Towards the end, we went into a couple of buildings with some fans, but obviously they they weren't our fans. We had a couple <laughs> a couple couple rain fans show up, but uh, um, it's tough. It's it's tough to, to kind of to go a year without fans. I think a lot of guys are, are happy that you know we got through it and, and kind of looking forward to, to when we can get fans again in the building. And I know the Kings towards the end there had some fans, which uh, which looked awesome, but uh, yeah, no no interactions. It's, it's still got to be hard. Uh, I think for us, it was just kind of focusing on, you know, hockey, hockey, hockey. And, you know, uh, I thought we did a good job of it. I thought it was it was difficult, but uh, we managed it well. The guys did a really good job of they could to, to find energy in different areas and, you know, find energy on the bench, things like that. It was uh, it was a new dynamic. It was it was a year that uh, I don't think anybody's going to forget. Um I don't think anybody's hoping for it to happen again either, though. So yeah, absolutely. I think I think a lot of guys are, uh, you know, they learned a lot about themselves on the ice, and mm-hmm. you know, they learned a lot. Just you know, to find energy, it's, it's, you got to find it in different areas. So I think, uh, yeah, definitely don't want to do uh, 
hopefully look really looking forward to get some fans in the rink, uh, just the interactions, you know, the, the cheers, the playing in front of them, all that stuff. It, uh, it means more of the game than I guess we all realize. Yeah, for sure. You don't know what you have until it's gone, right? Um, exactly. Every, every team at every level, whether it's, you know, Owen Sound or Guelph or, or an AHL team or an NHL team, every team likes to believe that they have the best fans, the most passionate fans. There is something sort of special, though, about the Ontario Reign fans. And it, I think it it is on its, its best display, uh, the jersey nights, when they sell the jerseys, you know, those charity auctions and whatnot. And I don't know yeah, why, but yeah. I was just laughing to myself the other day thinking about how many players are on this team that, that didn't get to experience that this year and how mind-blowing... Well, maybe I'll ask you. I think it's mind blowing some of the prices that they pay for some of these jerseys, and there are so many guys on the on your team right now that didn't get to experience that this year, right? You know, Kaliev, Turcotte, you know, all these guys that were first first year pros. Next year, playing for Ontario, first first game in when the when the jerseys get sold and they see some of those prices. Um, what was what's your experience been like when you see some of those prices, and, and what what are you thinking? Well, I was uh, I was honestly in awe when I first you know, came to Ontario to, and, and, you know, saw their arena and, and the fans and the support they get. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've seen a couple AHL games. I've, I've been to a couple different cities. Um, and it, it's probably the best that I've seen at least, uh, so far through my career. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. And then, you know, the prices they pay, it's, uh, I mean, there's always a good cause behind it, which, uh, which makes everybody happy, but, sure. um, it's unreal. Uh, the, the fan, the following, it's, it's unreal. And I, I think they're going to be uh, surprised because uh, I don't know what they're used to or what they've seen, but it's uh, it's quite the following to get in Ontario. Yeah. I, I love the fans also that they lock on to one player and then they almost have to buy like every jersey. I think it was Clegg uh, where the guy that I met after one of the games was saying like, yeah, I have like nine of these jerseys. And I'm like, why do you need nine yeah. Kale Clegg jerseys? And I mean, he's paying ridiculous prices too, but he was there with a big smile every game, paying the money and, and collecting the jerseys. So uh, I, I think it's awesome. Um, back to you. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, back to you and your, uh, and your sort of development. Um, You've been through a couple of trades, right? You went through the trade in the OHL. You went through the trade at the, uh, at the, the NHL level, you know, coming from Toronto over to the Kings. Do you, do you feel like that all of that's now sort of behind you and, and you, have your, you have your sea legs under you now? Do you feel like this is a home for you and you look towards a bright future? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, starting off with the trade in the OHL, that was something I figured would happen. And then being surprised with the NHL trade, uh, it, was, it was a lot at the time, uh, I think. You know, for myself, I, I finally I, I gone through a training camp in Toronto, got comfortable with the staff. Um, you know, learned learned everybody's name, and you know, kind of realized what their their plan is for me and what they they want me to focus on. And then, you know, next thing you know, you pick up pick up everything and leave. And uh, especially not being there at the time, it was uh, it was difficult just because you know you're, you got to get used to a whole new organization. Um, never been to LA and. And, uh, you know, I thought the Kings were a first-class organization when it came to, to that trade. They uh, they made it really easy, especially at the time. Came down, uh, you know, got to visit L.A. for a little bit. And then uh, my first training camp here was great. Uh, obviously now I'm, I'm year two, just finished year two. And uh, I can really tell that they, uh, you know, they, they want me to uh, succeed. They're doing, they're giving me everything I need to succeed. Uh, it's just, uh, it's up to me to kind of put in the work, kind of find, you know, different areas of my game where I can improve away from the rink and, and kind of things like that. But, uh, yeah, I can see this, uh, you know, this place is a home and, and I'd be lucky enough to, to kind of stay here, play hockey here and, 
you know, hopefully one day uh, make the NHL. You must like change in your life, though, because besides the trades, you also made a significant change in changing your agents uh, right before the season started. And we had Alan Walsh on the program uh, a while back, and one of the things that he talked about was just how instantly connected he almost felt to you. He said he, he was talking about the fact that it feels like you guys have been together for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I'm lucky enough to have gone through, uh, you know, two, uh, two great agents. Uh, you know, Alan has been uh, unreal since I uh, made the switch. Uh, he's uh, based out of L.A., which uh, makes it easy for me. And, um, yeah, uh, Alan is, uh, is a very, very great guy to talk to. He, uh, you know, that's, that's true that he says that because I felt the same way. It was, uh, you know, we had a, a couple of really good conversations early on to, to get to know each other. And uh, he's, uh, he's made things easier, easy here in L.A. What is it, uh, how, what's your relationship like in the sense that different guys need different things or utilize their agents in different ways? You know, some guys talk to their agent after every single game or before every game. Other guys check in once a week. Um, obviously, Alan's very passionate. Everybody knows that, whether you follow him on Twitter or you're just aware of, you know, his personality. He's, he is a fighter for his, for his guys. What, what's your yep. sort of communication style? Do you talk to him on a daily basis? Do you, do you bounce things off of him or is it more of a, on an as needed basis with you? Yeah. You know, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really the biggest you know, talker when it comes to, to agents, things like that. Uh, you know, I won't call him every day and, and bother him about, you know, small, stupid things that I could uh, deal with myself. But I mean, he's always there for me, which is good to know. He, uh, he makes that very clear. It's just, uh, to be quite honest with you, we just we, we just talk about hockey and uh, other areas. We, we we come to we sometimes just, you know, if uh, if it's check in or, or whatever, it's uh, you know, did you see this? Did you see that? It's uh, just talking as if we're friends. So it's uh, it's a good relationship. Um, he's a busy guy as well. You know, I got things going on here, so it's uh, very good at keeping. Uh, keep in a good relationship and, and good, good uh, talks when uh, we need to. All right. So where do you, where do you go from here in terms of development? Right. Because I don't think it's a surprise when I tell you the the book on you at the time of the trade coming in was uh, somebody who could possibly quarterback the power play offensive minded uh, player needs to work on his defense, you know, that sort of book on you. Um, how have you developed here over the last year? Again, back to you were under Stutz last year. Now you have a different coaching staff, uh, same development guys though, with Sean O'Donnell being a constant and whatnot. But uh, how has the development been up until now? And sort of where do you see as the things that you want to work on this summer before training camp opens up in September? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, a big thing for me this year was uh, just coming to the year and finding uh, my game in a bigger role. I knew uh, I would have that and uh, kind of settling into it. And I think early on I was, uh, you know, kind of kind of extended preseason. I wasn't too happy with my game. And um, there was a stretch where, you know, I started to find my game offensively. And then uh, I realized I took a step back and just talking to the guys here uh, – make it you got to be you know very sound positionally and that was something I really focused on was uh being calm in my positioning and and you know kind of being that quarterback even five on five and that's uh that's something I could bring to the table is just being a guy who uh you know is going to make a good pass and you know who's gonna who sees the ice very well and and that's come uh that comes from good positioning so I thought I found it and I thought I found it down the stretch especially just you know 
kind of taking pictures all over the ice and, you know, kind of just being that calm, calm quarterback in, in any situation, PK, power play, and five on five. And uh, a big thing for me now is, you know, just kind of working on, on my game as a whole. And that's even just away from the IQ. It's just, you know, my shot, um, my skating, you know, all, all the all the things that are uh, very easy for me to do as long as I'm willing to put in the work. And, you know, I am. And I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to a, to a great off season. Uh, I have a lot of great tools ahead of me here. And, uh, you know, I'm going to utilize them, utilize them the best I can and give myself the best shot at, uh, you know, making the NHL. Well, your uh, future is certainly bright. Appreciate your time today. Let, let's wrap up with a couple of quick funny ones and give you an opportunity to uh, maybe needle a few of your teammates. These will be funny questions, hopefully. who, Which of your teammates is most likely to wake you up early in the morning with a text or a phone call? Marcus Phillips. Oh, really? He's uh, the early riser on the team. He uh, doesn't matter what time he goes to bed, he's going to be up before the sun. So he's... Uh, no, and, and he's always got uh, – we're both real big sports guys, so he's always got some good new, sports news for me. And, you know, we always have uh, good chats watching uh, ESPN in the morning. So Now, this wasn't on my list of questions, but uh, Kaliev, Turcotte, a couple guys have been out at the Laker games recently. Have you have you had a chance to go, or are you going soon? Yeah, I went last night, actually. Oh, you uh, did? Yeah, I got uh, – it was nice because, you know, kind of being in that bubble all year – get a little bit of uh, a chance to enjoy LA a little bit and you know what the amenities that they got that it comes with it so it was it was awesome yeah it was great uh it was a great experience last night was that your first time at a Laker game uh when I first got traded here and they flew me down they uh they sent me up there with a couple of tickets and that was a pretty cool experience but that was my first uh, ever playoff game so it was, it was wild there you go. Um, who's most likely to pick up the check if you guys are out at dinner? Uh, depends the crew, but I got to say Marty first. He's always a first class guy when it comes to that. He uh, sometimes you got to fight him to to get the bill, but he's uh, he's an awesome guy when it comes to that stuff. Does he ever stop smiling? No, <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't think so. No, with his missing tooth, so yeah. he's uh, he's unbelievable. No, he's. He's a great guy to have around the locker room. You know, you you expect a guy like that to, with, with the start he had to, to kind of come, and you know, you, you never know what kind of attitude he brings. But it was uh, first class attitude. It was you know positive every day. Worked as if he's never played a game in the NHL before, and you know he's uh, he's a guy I think a lot of young guys can uh, look look up to. Yeah, for sure. Um, who's the guy that's most likely to make you laugh? It's got to be uh, Bakanji. Bakanji Mama. He's uh, he's a laugh. Me and him, uh, we got a pretty similar sense of humor. So uh, he's he's uh, we uh, we have some good laughs, and, and he he makes a lot of guys laugh around the room. Now you went with him, right? Or you guys went together to go see Earl Skakel uh, at the comedy club a year or two ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, me, him, and uh, Matt Luff would uh, would go Tuesday night. Earl would uh, help us uh, set us up a nice uh, table. We got a good laugh, and uh, it was it was honestly it was probably one of our favorite things to do in LA until you know COVID and, and whatnot. But yeah, it was uh, it was a good laugh there. Now you have to be careful though, because Earl does have almost an unhealthy man crush on Boko. You're aware of this, right? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah Bocos is uh, his favorite player. We all know that one. And, uh, <laughs> he makes it pretty clear every every time we go see him. But he's uh, we were lucky enough to see Earl on the stage too. He was uh, he give everybody a good laugh as well. Yeah, Earl is great. We love having him on the program as well. Um, now, Aiden Dudas, when he was over in Germany, uh, was I think uh, at least within that crew at that time, anointed the best dressed. Uh, even though there were rumors that Akil Thomas was customizing his own jeans over there. So I don't know about that, but who in your mind is the best dressed on the team? And it can't be Turcotte. We're going to throw him out right away. So you have to pick somebody else. <laughs> oh, okay. Because uh, Turk is the guy uh, that'll show up in like fluorescent shorts, right? You can't, you can't have that. Yeah, I would say, uh, I would say Cameron Gaunt, but everybody would know I was lying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, the best dressed, the guy who brings uh, the most funkiest styles is what I'll give him. He, he brings brands that I've never even heard of, but apparently are, you know, top notch in LA. It's got to be Kale Flag. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. If you go through his Instagram, it's fashion, 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 and he uh, he shows it. Okay. All right, Kill Clegg. We'll have we'll have to book him on the program so that you can uh, or he can have an opportunity to uh, to retort on that uh, particular answer. I'm sure Kale will have something to say about that. Uh, last one <laughs> in here is going to be. I should have surveyed you uh, before I put the awards article out there, but uh, I went back and forth on the MVP of the team this year or the Player of the Year. I guess we can call it that because MVP is kind of weird, but Player of the Year for the Ontario Reign this year. You had a several, I guess, candidates. Uh, with all due respect to you, uh, several candidates. Uh, you had Byfield. You had Kaliev. You could have gone a couple different directions. I ultimately went with Kaliev. Who do you think was the player of the year when you think back in totality over the season? Who was the guy who just delivered for the Ontario Reign? Jeez, John, you could, uh, yeah. <laughs> you Seriously, you put me on the spot here. But, uh, you want to you skip I'm, or are you going you gonna to go for it? Who'd, uh, who, who'd you give it to? I gave it to Kaliev. I just thought... This kid coming in and and playing with all of these different centers, he was up and down the lineup, right? He was first line, second line, third line. He played with just about every center on the team. Uh, it was more than just he led the team in goals and points. It was he seemed to do it all year, right? It wasn't like he did it after Byfield left or anything, even with the time when QB was called up. Artie was still right there leading in goals and points. And uh, I just think over the totality of the season, it's very impressive to see a first-year player come in and do what he did. And then to hear Robo also constantly talk up his 200-foot game, which is, you know, uh, speaks to the knock on on Artie that people have. Uh, I just thought it was very impressive. And, you know, I've, I've long said that his his passing game is underrated, and we saw that on display many times this year. So I, I went with Kaliev, but I think there are several candidates that, you know, you could have gone with. Yeah, you can you can go with a million guys, but I think you know the one thing about Artie is he. Uh, one thing that surprised me is how how well he is with his, how, how good he is on defense with his stick. Um, saw it a couple times down the stretch there. He was almost baiting guys into making passes, and he was picking them off. And uh, he was uh, yeah, he brought a different dynamic than uh, than I knew. You know, playing against them for for a year or so, but he uh, he really surprised me. The stick lifts, you know, how strong he was on the puck, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can give it to a million guys. You can't put me on the spot there, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, like, I thought I'd I like be able to slip one by you. <laughs> yeah, no, he had a great year. He had a great year. I uh, I like your pick, but for me, you can't. I don't know. I think uh, I would give it to a million different guys. Sure. 
Well, don't don't feel bad. I tried to slip one by QB at the end of the interview uh, after he was drafted. At the very end of the interview, we were talking about uh, World Juniors. He was getting ready to go to camp, and I told him we would have him uh, back on after the tournament was over and after uh, USA defeated Canada for gold. And, and while he was saying goodbye, he's like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. That's not happening. But uh, <laughs> I, it actually did happen, and maybe that's why he hasn't come back on the program. But, uh, no, all jokes yeah, aside, uh, it was a it was a great tournament. And uh, thanks for spending some time today. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and uh, we'll have to catch up before training camp and uh, see how ready you are for next season. And I uh, hope you, hope you enjoy these next couple of months off and look forward to things returning to normal here. Uh, for next season. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you having me on the show. All right, thanks, Durs. There you go. Sean Dursey. We'll be back after the break. Talk more. Okay, Kings of the Podcast, third period. Welcome back. And uh, DB, thanks to Sean Dursey for jumping in there, yep. having uh, an extended conversation. I tried to trick him there at the end and get him to uh, give me a different <laughs> name for the MVP, uh, but he like Byfield, he was too smart for me. He wasn't going to fall into that trap. So uh, he's a lot of fun. It was, it was uh, a pleasure talking with Durs and a big summer for him. Big summer for a lot of those kids oh, yeah. Yeah. that are in Ontario. I mean, you go down the list yeah. and there's a good dozen of them or so. Um, that have to have a big summer. I liked what Robo said the other day when he said that the message to the players in their ex interviews was uh, that this is a business summer. This is not about going home and hanging yeah, out on the lake, that, yep. you know, and that COVID's mm-hmm. over and time to party. This is a time to make a significant jump in your athletic career. And so uh, that was the message. Get in the gym, get on the ice, get your work put in and take those steps. We saw Kaliev. He made tremendous improvements during 2020 DB. Yeah, and look, a lot of these kids lost the an off season with respect to training and skating and things of that nature. So I couldn't agree with you more. And Robo's right; this is a crucial, crucial off season for some of these kids. Okay, let's hit the mailbag, DB. Uh, we put out a tweet earlier uh, about a couple days ago, I think it was, and just said, "Hey, if there's, you know, if you have anything on your mind, Kings fans, and you'd like us to talk about on the program, let us know." Uh, we did not uh, rehearse or do any research in advance, so we're just going to kind of do it off the cuff, DB, and see yep. what happens. Uh, first question was about uh, why Sam Reinhart would be a perfect acquisition for the Kings. We did already talk about that. Uh, summer trade options, we hit on that one a little bit. Um, there are some. I guess there would be other names out there defensively and among the forward group. DB, in my mind, it's a little bit early to sort of target players that might be available pending sort of playoff success and sort of seeing what teams have planned for the expansion draft. Do you agree it's a little premature to start targeting particular players at this point? Yeah, John, because you have what? Still eight to 10 teams that are still playing. Mm-hmm. Nobody's paying attention to the post the the off season when you're in the postseason. So it may be you know something about something shakes loose in Carolina or something shakes loose in Tampa, like we mentioned in the first period. It's a little premature to talk about that. You could talk about teams who aren't playing anymore, but mm-hmm. I think 
you don't have those conversations about what's on your big board or what your your target list is until all the teams have stopped playing. So you're talking right around the draft front, right, John, which is when the trades would happen. And now, one of the other uh, and there's yeah. there's several of these tweets here, DB, that uh, people wanted, you know, they first of all wanted to make a joke about uh, we might not ever find out what's in or what was in Jeff Solomon's briefcase. Uh, don't be so yes. sure about that. Uh, we'll get to that. We're saving that for a later episode in the summer as hopefully we can get uh, Sully to come on and and talk about sure. his tenure with the L.A. Kings. Not sure specifically if he's going to give us all the details, but I will say, Dennis, I made a number of phone calls this week, sent a number of text messages mm-hmm. talking to people from sort of all sorts of uh, different angles. And I, I had tweeted this out, but I did just want to have a brief conversation about it when it comes to Jeff Solomon. First sure. of all, uh, it is a completely different situation than when Ron Hextall left the organization and or when Mike Fuda left the organization. Uh, these are different situations, each each unique in and of themselves. And if you're interested in the Mike Fuda situation, we did have Foots on last year. Soon after he departed the L.A. Kings, he told his story from his side. I find it funny that people sometimes want to tell us what happened when you don't have to hear it from us. You just hear it from Mike Fuda. Yeah. He'll tell you from his perspective. Now, we haven't we don't have the uh, the privilege of having Jeff Solomon on the program this week to to tell you his side of the story or anybody from the L.A. Kings. But this is what I've been able to dig up, D.B., um, it's sort of is a perfect storm type situation. It wasn't a situation where Jeff Solomon was looking uh, for a job. He was unhappy in L.A. He wasn't looking, you know, to take over in Vancouver or to get a uh, an assistant GM mm-hmm. spot in uh, Ottawa or, you know, pick in any other team that you want to insert the names in there. That wasn't the deal. Uh, Sully lives in northern San Diego County. He was interested in staying in Southern California for family reasons. Um, he, sure. as the executive VP, D.B., he had full say in everything. He was, you know, you talk about having a seat at the table. He had a seat at the table in Los yeah. Angeles and was right. involved in the conversations that uh, Rob Blake, Nelson Emerson, Mark Yannetti, uh, you know, that, that whole group uh, in, in that think tank in that, at that table. Sully had a seat at the table. Um, so it wasn't about that. But the Kings weren't interested or, or weren't moving in a direction where an AGM was going to be named. Um, yeah. And so here's an opportunity for him to go to Anaheim in almost a perfect storm situation. They had a guy sure. there who had been there for decades who was retiring, created the opening. It gives him an opportunity to become an AGM there. And while nobody's really saying it, DB, if you connect the dots, it does seem like there's at least potentially an opportunity to create a roadmap to a future in the sense of, well, what happens when Bob Murray leaves? Could this potentially be his successor? Is there an opportunity for him to take on a greater role in Anaheim potentially? Mm-hmm. So he gets closer to home, he gets the AGM title, um, and he's involved in a, in, a, in a new and exciting situation. He's been in L.A. for 15 years. It's not uncommon, D.B., yeah. that people want a new challenge. And so some people are looking at this as like, wow, he jumped ship at the worst possible time because it's such a big summer. He's been involved or he was involved in all the decisions that the Kings and the planning that the Kings had been putting in place for the last six months. They've been preparing for this summer. It wasn't like the season ended – uh, you know, what, May 10th or whatever it was, and then they started thinking about the summer. They've been planning for the summer for quite some time, and they've been planning for this move with Jeff Solomon, DB, because as I reported uh, at the time, this was not new news to them. This was not a reactionary thing. The Kings organization had known mm-hmm. for several months, and uh, even about an hour before we started recording today, when the Kings put out the press release with these four or five quote-unquote new hires, um, not Goldberg, but the uh, other person, He's actually already been with the team for two months. So yeah, it's not so a new hire. Yep. He's, he's been in place on the analytics side of things. And so they've been working in this direction for quite some time, Dennis. Yeah, uh, just a couple of things. From what I understand, it's not about the money. He was well mm-hmm. compensated here. It was about a role. And not only that, but if you listen to Bob Murray's 
exit interview today, like he admits that they're behind the curve on analytics. And Jeff helped run, if not ran, that the analytics function with L.A. Um, so that, that's perfect. You mentioned about the location. I agree with you on that. And there was an opportunity to become an assistant general manager. And to further the Murray situation, both Murray and Eakins are on their last years of contract coming into next season. So could that open the door for Jeff Solomon? Yeah. And you got to think, John, if you are an assistant general manager in this league, you want to be a general manager. So, yeah, I think it's not a fast track. And who knows what happens with Bob or the success of the Ducks next season. But uh, the the concern I would have is that, you know, Jeff, as a former agent and an attorney, is an expert negotiator with respect to contracts and UFAs yes. and stuff like that. So the question is, who picks up who you know, picks up the baton from him? Like, so that, that would be the question. Like, are they going to replace Jeff Solomon in the short term with somebody with comparable experience? No. Does it mean that that person can't do the job? No. So it remains to be seen. And certainly when you go out and hire four people after Jeff leaves, one's already in place that you were preparing for this day and you just move on. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Cruz, I believe, was the name that I was uh, that I was looking for there. Yes. Um, but DB, I also I, I don't want people because people like to try to take perhaps sometimes the wrong message from what I'm saying. Losing Jeff Solomon was a key loss for the LA Kings. There's no other way to yeah. say it. This is a guy no who's question. been with the team for 15 years. He was there through multiple regimes. He was there uh, and helped build the analytics department, really built it from the ground up. He brought in right. Rob Volman, of course, one of the, the godfathers of uh, analytics. And so he yep. had been there and built this whole thing and was a key contributor. You don't have a title of executive VP unless you're a key contributor. Of Dennis. course. He was not the capologist, as people referred to him as. That's not really his only deal on a day-to-day basis. He yeah. had a, a much bigger role and a much bigger say. And that's why I was mentioning earlier, he had full say in everything that they did. He had a and, seat at and the John, table. I think that um, when people refer to him as that here, um, didn't like it. <laughs> he didn't like it because his his job was much more um, – uh, there was a lot of breadth and depth to his job just not being – he did do that. That was part of the job, but it wasn't as large. That's like some people say, well, it's easy to go at another capologist. I'm like, if you think – and I, I mentioned it to some knucklehead on Twitter that like if you think that was his only job, then like you have no clue. Basically, mm-hmm. so that that's the situation with Jeff. He was a, a very accomplished businessman, a very accomplished agent, and a very accomplished hockey executive. So, yeah, of course, it's a loss. It's a John. It's it's like every other loss that you have. How do you respond to that loss? Like, how do you make that replacement? And you move on from there. That's absolutely what it is, DB. It's it's, it's not the end of the world. The LA Kings are not going to crash and burn and fall into the ocean. Uh, it, it's a loss, you, but you, it's how you recover yeah. from that. You add a couple of people, exactly. and sometimes adding new people as well can be a breath of fresh air. Sure. Just like just like Sully going to Anaheim is going to be a breath of fresh air for him, right? He fifteen years he had been doing things within one organization. Now you go to a new team, and it breathes life into you. You have an opportunity sure. to learn new things, to bring new things to the table. You get excited. You you wake up in that new relationship, and so the same thing. Uh, you know, we don't know a lot about these people. Obviously, Goldberg was the uh, one of the AGMs, I believe, over with the Arizona Coyotes and, and was under Chica. Uh, and everybody knows the Coyotes have had their challenges as well. But, you know, smart dude sure. uh, on paper. And we'll get to know him more as time goes on. And we'll see about his ability to help negotiate and be involved. He's going to be the senior director 
of hockey operations there for the LA Kings. And there were a number of other people they hired in some legal and finance roles and things like that. But I think it does speak to how important Jeff Solomon was to the organization that uh, you can't replace him with just one person. You give a little bit of his responsibilities, maybe to a Mark Unetti, maybe you give a little bit of his responsibilities to Nelson Emerson. You give a little bit of his responsibilities to Goldberg uh, and, you know, and the others, et cetera. And you move forward and we'll see, look, we can't make a, we can't give a definitive grade today uh, or make a definitive statement today on the impact of losing Jeff Solomon uh, any more than we can about a draft pick that is made 48 hours ago. You have to wait. And sure. We'll tell you in a year from now if the Kings were able to rebound and how they were able to recover and what the next steps were. Absolutely, John. Okay, moving on in the mailbag here, DB. Uh, and best of luck to Jeff Solomon, by the way. I know we, there was a lot of jokes Absolutely. back and forth on, on Twitter about what's in the briefcase, but uh, always enjoyed our time talking to him. Dennis, I think I speak for both of us. Uh, really smart guy, fascinating to talk to, very quick-witted, had a good sense of humor, and uh, he, did. Uh, he loved smart to give guy. me a hard time, too. I uh, think, I think my, my, favorite, my favorite joke on the briefcase was one guy said his resume was in the briefcase. So <laughs> yeah, let's move I'd, on. Uh, it's it, well, it, you know, what's at the top of the uh, stack of papers inside his briefcase DB is an open-ended invitation to come on Kings of the podcast. Yes, so, of course. Uh, exactly. Sully, I know we're you're writing, listening right John. now. So the invitation is, is still there. We look forward to having you on hopefully later this summer. Okay. Next up, uh, next question here in the mailbag. Does Turcotte Byfield Kaliev get a sniff in preseason would be exciting to get a kid line out there uh, during preseason. I would say, sure. Absolutely. Why not? That is a line that we saw with the Ontario rain in the second half of the season but i want to build on that a little bit db hear sure. me clearly though not on opening night i'm listening not in not for 82 games next season but i think there is a desire to play turcott on the wing with byfield mm-hmm. uh, they looked really really good together in a brief period of time when they were uh playing together in ontario and it's been pointed out to me by a number of different people it's not just about the points that they put up but it's about all of the right. underlying analytics that uh, the way sure. that Turcott drives the offense playing with Byfield, that you you have two players that complement each other very, very well. And so I think that's something to keep an eye on on the go forward is to see Turcott uh, playing with with uh, with Byfield. And, and I have to say also, I did like Kaliev at times when he played with Byfield in Ontario as well. So that'd be a fun line during preseason. That's my second line opening night. <laughs> okay. Well, Next question. I think I think you're living in a dream world. I, I look. No, I'm Todd, playing the games, if, John. Let's go. Okay, you're telling me that Todd McClellan is going to play Turcotte, <laughs> Byfield, and Kaliev, who between the three of them have a combined what would that be seven games of NHL experience? Dennis, That's my second line, John, not Todd's. Okay. Mine. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. That's your second line. That's fair. Uh, That's That's fair enough. I personally, I'd rather see Kaliev uh, probably with, uh, with, with Kopitar. If you're going to, if you're going to put him in the Mm -hmm. lineup on opening night, but uh, we'll, we'll, we digress. Um, What defenseman would you target this summer trader free agent? Of course, uh, we sort of touched on that, Dennis. It's it's, there's so many guys out there, but I think the thing you have to look at when it comes to the defenseman is again, those two words, it's, it's age and it's style. They're looking for an offensive player uh, and they're looking for somebody in the right age bracket. And so it's going to be costly. It's whether you're talking about Darlene mm-hmm. or whoever you want to talk about, it's going to be costly. It's not somebody they're going to be able to get on the cheap as a plug. No. It's somebody that they think is no. it going to be a key contributor that they can invest in long-term because they love Dowdy. They love uh, Mikey Anderson. They love Bjorn foot and they have Brock Faber coming who they're very high on. So they really have mm-hmm. a lot to work with defensively, they just need that other player on the left side who can complement that group TV. Zach Orensky, 
That's the guy I would go after. I think that is the guy, to be honest with you. That, that, that I think there's yeah. quietly and nobody I agree wants with you on Chikrin. John, Chikrin is, is a monster. Like, he would be amazing, but I just... I don't know they how can't trade him, him, they can't trade him, DB. They can't trade Arizona can't trade yeah. him. If they're going yeah, into full rebuild, that's the guy. That's the only asset they have to build around. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's just a monster. Jeez, Ugh, that would be something. So, but oh, I be, it, 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 it would be it would yeah. be fantastic. And, and 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 the one argument there is, you go, well, wait a minute. The Coyotes, because they were penalized, they don't have a first round draft pick this year. So if they're interested in getting mm-hmm. back into the first round this year, you know, would LA be willing to move their pick? Okay, yeah, sure. But how does that really help Arizona? Because you're just sort of, you know. Uh, robbing from Peter yeah. to pay Paul, as they say, because you're the, you're John. You're... The only way it helps. Here's how it helps. Okay. Yeah. Here's how it helps. Yeah. Kings win the lottery. Then it's own power. Then maybe. Uh, other no. than that, no. If it's okay. going to be eight, nine, ten, whatever, you'd have to you'd have to you'd have to sell the farm. Okay. So let me let me go on record and say this right now, DB. If the Kings win the lottery and the draft lottery is coming up on June 2nd, for those that don't follow it too closely, the Kings will only end up in one of two spots. They can either win the lottery and basically end up in first or second, or they can um, they right. will they will be eighth, ninth, or tenth. That's the only area. They can't finish fifth, they can't drop right. the fourteenth or right. anything like that. So it's one or two, right. exactly. eight, nine, or ten. Yep. If they win the lottery and they're one or two, there is absolutely no way they're trading that pick with 99% certainty, right? So, I mean, yeah, short of the Oilers calling up and offering Connor McDavid, I mean, because you always have to say there's right. there's a 1% chance of something weird happening, but the the pick is not in play if it's one or two. If it's Okay, eight, so I got a question or, for you. Sure. I got a question for you there. Okay, so I, I'm going to assume I know at one who they would pick. If there are two, who did they pick? So how about this, DB? Because I want to do a whole segment on the draft. Sure. Hold that question. We'll hold that. Okay. Obviously, I don't think it's a big surprise we'll to say that the Kings it. are interested in picking up a defenseman in the draft. There's probably mm-hmm. about four or five kids that they're looking at, which gets me to the yep. second part of this, which is eight, nine, or ten. If you're eight, nine, or ten, there's a chance that that pick is in play, but there's also a chance that it's not in play. And, and people say, well, you're hedging. No, I'm not, because here's the deal. It depends how the draft order falls, because it, it depends out, how right. realistic they think they can move up. Because in order to get one of those defensemen, they have to – one of two things move have to happen if they're 8, 9, yeah. or 10. Somehow, some way, one of those defensemen have to fall to them. Now, there's a greater chance that the player would fall mm-hmm. to 8 than there would be to 10, right? So if you're 10 – you better yes, look at the LA agreed. Kings moving up. Yep. They're going to have to get into seven or get into six. What's it going to cost them to move four yep. spots up? And is that other? Is there a team above yep. them within the two or three spots above them that they feel is a good trade partner, that they have a realistic opportunity to move up? It's been very difficult sure. to move. yanetti uh, has been on record with this. It's almost over the last impossible, years. John. Yeah. It's become, it's yeah, become it's really difficult. So with this weird COVID year of kids, does it become easier to trade up? Does it become more difficult? No one knows right now. No one knows. So right. I won't even speculate. I'll just say Got if it. they win the lottery and they're one or two, forget about it. It's not moving. Uh, and if they end up in eight, nine, or 10, it's a more nuanced conversation because it depends are they eight or are they 10? Right. And it depends who's directly above them. So we'll right. do a whole draft breakdown, Dennis. The first piece in the the draft conversation. I know it, it's fun for fans to speculate and who would they take and you, you want all the draft rankings and all that stuff. The bottom line though, is that really it's, it's, it's a moot point until June 2nd, right? Because right, that's, until you the know first, where exact yeah, that's the first step on the Candyland game board of where, you know, <laughs> did you get a fast pass and did you, whatever those jump the lines are, did you get a lollipop or whatever? I don't know what, I haven't played that game in so long. I don't know what the, what the right card is, right? Did you get the gingerbread guy? Right. You know, did you move near the top of the board or did yep. you, 
get a return to home card. So uh, that's coming up on June, June 2nd. So uh, DB, a little bit on the draft there. Um, next question here sure is, what is the key for Matt Vallalta and or Jacob Ingham's development this summer? Does JF Berube and or Troy Grosnick come back to camp, to camp at least? Uh, I'm not exactly sure where the, I feel like this, this question was going somewhere. Um, I'll just say this DB that uh, Matt Volalta needs to be more consistent. It was, it was the comment coming into the year. I think mm-hmm. they still have those concerns. Um, they like the player, but uh, if you look at the LA Kings organizational depth chart, Jacob Ingham is ahead of him. Uh, Lucas Perique is ahead of him on the overall depth chart. They also drafted a goaltender uh, last year in uh, marketing, I believe uh, who was playing over in Europe, young kid, it wouldn't surprise me if the Kings go back to the goalie pool this year, again, mid-round, third, fourth round, something like that, if they mm-hmm. needed to, uh, to continue to add goaltending depth because you also know that Quick is aging. Um, but specific to uh, Grosnick or Berube, look, I love Berube, so I, I, I can't really speak sure. to it objectively. Um, have had a long relationship with the player going back to his ECHL days in Ontario. Just a great guy. Uh, love having him around the team. Great teammate. Um, I'm not sure there's a spot for him next year on the team. I think if they can get Troy Grosnick, that's great uh, because they're going to need some sort of a vet that's going to be able to uh, – they're, they're going to need to have that in the pipeline, DB, is what I'm getting at. So um, I know sure, that a lot of people understood. liked what Troy Grosnick brought this year, and he was patient with them and wasn't a problem, was a good teammate, and really played well in the couple of games that he played, both in Ontario and uh, and with the Kings. So I would say he's, a, he's a, certainly a viable option, Dennis, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Eichel, Line A, et cetera, uh, trade for somebody that'll make Dewey happy. Okay, well, um, I don't see Line A as a real opportunity in Los Angeles. Dennis, uh, do you have a comment on that? Yeah, no, I don't see it either, John, to be honest with you. Okay. Who takes over in managing the cap? That Jeff did a great job. Okay, we talked about that. Um, Is the next episode going to be the Sully saga? Well, we've (laughs) we've covered that. Um, uh, How excited are you guys that the recent announcement that the stapler will be allowing full capacity for the upcoming season um, this is a double-barreled one. Uh, are there any specific players that you don't want traded to improve the team besides Byfield? That's a very interesting question. So, Dennis, first off, um, how excited are you for, to have fans full capacity back in the building, hopefully for opening night next year? When I see Carolina and Nashville play in the postseason, John, and see those buildings go crazy, I, could, I can't wait for the mass to be off and 17,000, 18,000 at Staples Center next season. I couldn't be more happy anticipating that. You know, it's funny that you picked up on that series, Dennis, because uh, I was on with uh, Raja Lajoie. I know you talked to him as well yeah. uh, last Raj, week or whatever, yeah. and he was asking about fans. And I pointed to that series and was like, that is incredible. Like, I, you know, most hockey fans probably aren't like jonesing to watch Nashville, Carolina. It's not a marquee right, right. matchup. But, man, you really do need to tune in to see the excitement of those fans because it'll it'll get you buzzing in your living room. The energy almost comes through the TV. So. I'm excited to have 18,000 fans back in the building next year uh, and have that place rocking on opening night, Dennis. It's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's – and I was at the cup final last year with nobody in the building. Like, the excitement doesn't compare to what you're seeing now and not just a nose but John, what about the Islanders at Nassau College? Yeah, <laughs> right? Those people are nuts, and they're going to be more crazy, and they're increasing the attendance. It's just not just a, a, just a new move back to normal time, so I just can't wait for next season. I think the fans are going to be amped. And uh, just can't wait for that moment when we see fans without masks walking around Staples Center talking about us between periods. <laughs> okay, so to the second part of that question, Dennis, which is, is there one prospect that you hope that the Kings don't trade? Knowing that they're going to have to move some of their key assets at some point to get that defenseman 
maybe not this summer, but maybe over the next 12 months. So looking at a sort of a bigger window, pick one prospect besides Byfield that you don't want to see them move. I would say um, Kaliev because he's a natural goal scorer. Yeah. I, I have three players in mind, and I, I don't even know how to answer this question. Kaliev, for the reason that you just mentioned, because he's a natural goal scorer, he's really the, the most pure goal scorer that they have. Akil right. Thomas, because I see him as such a jack-of-all-trades, I think that we haven't even seen the best of Akil Thomas yet. I think he has even more to give. Um, he's one of those guys that teams have to have, in my opinion, to win. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to tell you, and I wouldn't have said this 12 months ago, uh, to be honest with you, I wouldn't have said this 12, I wouldn't have said this six months ago. Alex Turcott, I think that he really? does things that, that very much. few players are able to do. Um, and, and, and I hate mentioning Mike Richards because it's not a fair comparison because they are different mm-hmm. players. Richie played it more of a time when being a power forward and being tough and being physical was such a bigger component of their games. But Richards right. was one of those guys that he drugged their, his line mates into the dirty areas. He mm-hmm. drug his line mates into the offensive part of the game. We hear that about Akil Thomas, sure. how he brings the offense out of his line mates. There's just something about Turcotte. I alluded to it earlier with him playing with Byfield. I, I'm really mm-hmm. starting to uh, to put Akil uh, Thomas. I'm sorry. I'm starting to put Turcotte uh, in, in a real elite, elite category. Mm-hmm. And if I had to pick one player right now, it would be Alex Turcotte, Dennis. Great. Got it. Uh, will Luton Company look outside the organization to replace Sully? Yeah, we already covered that. Um, we need, I did uh, filter these out, Dennis. Will or should the Kings look at Ryan Nugent Hopkins or Tyson Berry? There's two players for you, Dennis. Well, you know, my I'm a no on R&H, Hopkins, so what do you have? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, uh, look, he, could he, he can play with elite players. I know that much. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not giving him a – like I mentioned prior – I'm not giving him a seven and eight year contract. If he get it, it would be eight from Edmonton, seven from anybody else. You know, if he was already going to sign at Edmonton, he would have been signed at Edmonton. So will he hit the market? Not sure, but I'm not giving Ron Hopkins seven years, five years. I'd think about it. I, I would. So um, Tyson Barry, I don't, I don't see that. I, I, you know, I don't think Edmonton's bringing him back. So do you think he's going to prove LA? I, I don't think that's the type of player that I bring back. I'd, I'd probably want the. I'd, I'd much rather have Warren. I'd rather make the trade for the top pair defenseman or the left side guy than sign him in free agency. I don't think that Tyson Barry's the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. I would agree with you there. I don't think that he's uh, a Tyson... one way defenseman. That's why, John, you need you need that all around player to pair with Drew. I think uh, of those two players, R and H would be a. Uh, there would be a greater probability than there would be with Tyson Barry, but uh, for the reasons that you mentioned there, I don't really see. Yeah, I, I don't of those expect players. it, but yeah, yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh, is there going to be another rookie tournament like the one in Irvine back in 2019? Yes. The plans are to hold the rookie tournament next year, or I guess it's this year, 2021. But for next season, the plan would be to hold the rookie tournament in uh, Arizona, uh, hosted by the Coyotes. And from what I understand, the question is what happens with the tournament the following year, which is 2022, uh, because the mm-hmm. Kings were originally scheduled to host the tournament that year. They very much are interested and want to host the tournament. However, the Sharks were next in line, and their new building is set to be uh, completed here over the next year. And so is, does San Jose want in next year, or will they allow L.A. to host it, and then San Jose hosts it the following year? Sure. I think that is uh, still to be determined. So once I get more information on that, I'll, I'll push that out there. Uh, DB, there is uh, some information also. I don't know if you saw it or not, but uh, they're, they're making some waves out there with the new building uh, next week 
maybe it's even on June 2nd or 3rd. Next week, they're going to put shovels in the ground and uh, break ground on the new building out in Coachella Valley, which could potentially also lead to, Dennis, hint, hint, the name of the team changing from the yeah. Palm Springs AHL team <laughs> to the Coachella Valley team. How do you think of that? What do you think of that? I saw you tweet on that, John. I like that. I like nothing wrong with mentioning Coachella at any point in time. <laughs> and that's that's actually what I think is part of I'm I, I'm guessing here. Nobody's giving me the inside intel, but I think there's some cachet associated with being referred to as Coachella, you know, because that's a name that's mentioned so much because of the big music festival. And it opens up uh, to the entire valley, not just being Palm Springs or Palm Desert yeah. or whatever. Um, not that I think there's a any sort of a territorial warfare going on there. I, I think if it's the Palm Springs team, you'll get people from the entire valley. But it is more inclusive by calling it the the uh, the Coachella Valley team instead of calling it just the Palm Springs team. So interesting. Well, John, uh, we just, might. Well, just yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just think about this, John. Yeah, when you when you think of uh, Palm Springs, you think of people my age, and when you think of Coachella Valley, you think are rockers like you. So I think from a merchandising standpoint, you're probably better <laughs> off doing Coachella than Palm Springs. Fair, fair point. Um, the Palm Springs uh, Gray Panthers. Let's go. <laughs> I think they're going Firebirds. There hasn't been an official announcement, okay. but that's what we've heard. The gray Firebirds. Uh, okay. I, I, and I think we might have – you don't even know this, DB, because I haven't even texted you this. Uh, breaking news here, I'm working on a guest related to – uh, the Palm Springs slash Coachella Valley team to join us here uh, over the next uh, oh, week. Fantastic. So we might be talking some Seattle Kraken awesome. hockey prior to the expansion draft coming up. Um, oh, also, somebody wanted to know. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you guys really care what we have going on. Somebody wanted to know what is what is uh, DB and the mayor? What do they have planned? Uh, what do they have planned for the summer? Uh, Dennis, what do you what do you have planned for the summer? Uh, well, I expect to be the cup final. Um, hopefully, depending on what's going on with the Canadian border. But uh, cup final, um, some Dodger baseball games, uh, chilling out. There's a hot tub in the backyard now, which I use uh, every so often. So uh, hockey-wise, just I, I think, you know, we do Sirius XM, um, you know, every Friday, and uh, we do hot stove every Saturday morning. Uh, but then just hockey-wise, just do the cup final. It's too bad we can't go to the draft. That's always a blast. Uh, it's going to be a virtual draft. So just uh, hockey-wise on the road, just the cup final, or wherever that may be. How about you, Jim? All right, so good stuff there. We do plan on continuing Kings of the Podcast throughout the offseason. Um, things will really start to heat up more here probably in about a month or so, Dennis, once we get on the other side of the majority of the playoffs and we really start talking more right. about the expansion draft, free agency, yep. the 2021 NHL draft, a, a, you know, a lot of content around that particular time. So that'll be fun uh, for me personally, though. Yeah, some uh, catch some Dodger games, hit some concerts and uh, plan on going to see the uh, Conor McGregor fight and probably cover that. Uh, oh, fantastic. What, second week in July uh, up in up in Vegas, which will be my first time. I normally hit Vegas about six to ten times a year, either for uh, fights or for mm -hmm. concerts or whatnot. And um, I don't think I've been to Vegas, Dennis, in I, I want to say it was December before. So what? That would be December of 19. Yeah, because 2020 was COVID. So yeah. I don't think I've been there in was probably it? 18 months, which is really, really strange for me, Dennis. Yeah, I was there last weekend, obviously, for my birthday. You know, we, we extended an invite, but we know you're a big timer, so you couldn't. Yeah, <laughs> I do apologize. Destination birthday parties aren't the best. But, but, but no, no, John, please. We're way past that. But uh, we stayed at the Circa. We saw the largest sports book. I actually was watching the World Championships on <laughs> At the Circus Sportsbook, I think it was the was it Can was it Canada and they were playing somebody. And then we stuck we took out Stadium Swim, which is the outdoor pool with the 185 foot screen. John, it was 60 degrees and 20 mile an hour winds. It was so friggin' freezing there. Um, so we were there last weekend, and it's wide open, John. So you know, 
no masks. People can wear masks if they want. Not mandatory. So this is a big weekend for Vegas. So, yeah, you got to get your butt out to Vegas sometime this summer for sure. I, I will be there for sure. Let's uh, move along here. A couple more questions. We'll wrap it up. TB, you mentioned the World Championship. Somebody asked, will the Men's World uh, Championship tournament, will it sway the minds of management when it comes to who to protect for the upcoming expansion draft and or uh, who should be traded and who should stay? I'm going to say no, not really, because Trevor Moore was already going to be signed. Yeah. Uh, he's in the plans. They really like him. His stock is continuing to go up, but really his stock went up because of this season, not necessarily because of what yeah. happens at the Worlds. And um, I, I can't think of any other particular player. I mean, Anderson Dolan's there. You have uh, Velarde there, Cal Peterson, whatnot. Uh, well, Lannon was always a long shot to return to Los Angeles, more likely to get an yeah. AHL deal with the Kings if he was to return. So uh, I can't think of anybody at the World Championships that the their performance there is going to sway management one way or the other. Does anybody come to mind, DB? Yeah, no, it's an exhibition tournament to me, John. The one funny takeaway for the uh, championship for me is that Gord Miller called uh, Trevor Moore the designated goal scorer for Team USA, which I never put his name with designated goal scorer in a sentence before, but he's had a really good tournament. He's just he's building off the season, and I agree with you, John. I think the impact that he's made has changed uh, or just raised the level of uh, of notoriety around Trevor Moore. You know, it is exciting for some of these guys, though, to be able to go and have some success there, Dennis, because yes, yes, um, I, I believe that Without ending question. the year on a high note is important. And to be able to go into the offseason, not only with a sense of confidence, but also just with, with pride, right? And when, and not to be frustrated. That's a word we used with Sean Dersey during the previous segment. You don't want to go into the summer frustrated. And so for these guys to go over there and have some success, right. I think, puts them in the right mental space going into their offseason workouts. You know, without question, I think it, you know, season didn't end great, but if you can go over there and have some success, either personally or from a team standpoint, that can only help going into the offseason. All right, Dennis, we uh, we gave everybody a fourth period essentially today. Uh, we gave them much more than 60 minutes of Kings of the Podcast. We gave them some overtime. Uh, we uh, want to give thanks to Sean Dersey for stopping by, having a conversation with us. Sure. Thanks to all the listeners, all the fans for uh, submitting the mailbag questions, giving us stuff to talk about. And uh, DB, we will be back soon with more Kings of the Podcast because there will be some, there will be plenty of news, I think, here coming up uh, over oh, the yeah. next couple of weeks. Dennis. Yeah, absolutely. Great episode, John. Great to be back with you and uh, look forward to the next one. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. One, two, three.